Welcome to episode 6 of Australian Hiker. I'm Tim Savage. And I'm Jill Savage, and we're your hosts for this podcast. this episode, we're going to look back at what our expectations were before the trip and see how they actually panned out in real life. This first segment is our very first recording that we used um, in the field or did in the field uh, using a, a digital recorder. It was actually done at the hotel, so you'll hear a bit of background noise uh, from the air conditioner and uh, a bit later through the interview, the sprinklers. But um, apart from the, the background noise, it was quite interesting about what our thoughts were before the trip, uh, which was going to start uh, the very next day. All right, this is, um, this is just an initial, initial sound check just to see how things work, and I'll probably end up using some of this information or some of this stuff for the actual recording itself. So, Jill, what are you, what are you expecting out of this track over the next, uh, next two weeks? I'm ex- expecting to see some beautiful scenery um, and hopefully um, some um, flowering p- plants. Uh, I think it'll be tough. I think it'll be a hard walk. I think some of the days will be quite um, long and hot um, and dusty, um, which is always a, a challenge. And. Um, you know, uh, I, I guess I guess the breaking camp, the making camp and breaking camp part doesn't worry me so much. It's the getting to the camp um, and the um, the terrain potentially we have to cover. Um, and just is there any anything in particular you're worried about um, otherwise? Oh well, I hate mice. <laughs> if I see a mouse, I'll be I'll be I'll be hysterical, even a field mouse. And, a, and apparently over the last couple of months there has been an issue with mice and, there, um, and people often worry about larger animals and, and, and dingoes do tend to be an issue with uh, stealing food and stealing shoes for some reason um, but I think mice mice tend to be more of the issue with uh, chewing holes in bags and, uh, and chewing into th- through packs so it'll be interesting to see if that's still the case or whether they're, uh, they're now gone uh, considering the amount of rain we've had up here Someone told me a few months ago that they were they walked part of the trail and they they didn't see any mice and they didn't see any um, snakes or any uh, anything dangerous. Um, over the last few weeks, we've we've talked or, or come across a number of people that have had um, have, have walked sections of the trail. Has it surprised you that we haven't actually come across anybody that uh, that's walked the whole trail? Yeah, it has. I mean, people say that they've. They've done Larapinta Trail, and I get all excited, and and then I, I discover that um, they've only done bits. Um, uh, if they have done those bits, um, they've carried day packs. They haven't carried all their food, um, or they've done the glamping option, which is you know at the end of the day somebody comes and picks them up and takes them somewhere they can rest and have a shower and 
do all of those sorts of things. And I find it f find it funny. I find it interesting. Um, uh, the perception of what doing the trail is, um, and that you know. You know, I'm not taking anything away from people who are doing one or two days at a time, or, or maybe a few days longer. But um, it, it's it's interesting how they translated into uh, they've done the whole trail rather than they've done bits of the trail. What about temperature? What uh, what's your expectations on temperature for the next two weeks? Uh, I've been looking at the weather forecast, and I think it'll be quite. Um, you know, mid mid to high twenties, um, which you know generally isn't isn't too troublesome. Um, uh, but you know, we we are in the middle of Australia. We are in um, you know pretty harsh environment. So you know that sort of temperature, lack of trees, and uh, so on, might be a bit tough going. Um, what do you think about um, food-wise? Do you think we're going to have enough food for the period that we've with what we've planned? Or I think um, I think I think we've got plenty of food. Um, I I think we'll probably get over the food, and we'll probably not not be interested in eating the food. There are a couple of uh, places along the way that you can uh, you can buy some food. So I'm expecting that we'll have a pizza somewhere. Um, which is a sort of an interesting interlude in, in uh, the middle of something like this. Um, I think no doubt we'll lose lose weight even if we eat everything that we have. I'm, I'm sure that we'll be losing weight. Um, but there's only so much dehydrated food you can, you know, have in a short space of time. <laughs> do you think you, do you think we'll see many people along the trail at all? Look, I'm not. I'm not really sure. Um, given what I said before about uh, people doing it um, in in short stints, um, I'm I'm not sure how many people will find that are doing it the way that we're doing it. Um, I think it'll be relatively small numbers. Um, whether we bump into them along the way, I probably. Um, is unlikely given those small numbers um, but you know they there might be there might be some people that are crazy enough to do what we're doing for the next 15 days so Tim we're about to embark upon uh, the the big journey we've been uh, doing a lot of planning um, quite quite a lot many many months of, of planning um, what are you thinking at this point in time, having put so much thinking into uh, the trip and, and uh, what we might experience on the trail? Um, I think the thing that's still... Um, I'm still not quite 100% sure on is footwear. I mean, in the months that I've been doing the research... Um, there's a lot of people that say you've got to have boots, you've got to have, you know, you've got to have hard, hard-wearing leather boots. I've seen a few people that have said they've they've gone through and used uh, trail running shoes, um, but those people have only tended to do do sections and not the whole trip. So the footwear I've chosen is sort of probably not my ideal. My preference would be for trail runners, but I've gone for a, a lightweight boot just to cover myself. Um, and just to make sure that I've, I've, I've got the protection that I need. But I may find that my feet might be a bit hot and might not be as comfortable footwear-wise just for the sake of extra protection and support that, that people seem to think you need. 
That's really interesting, and it'll be see, interesting to see how we go because I've got a hybrid boot, um, so not a not a heavy leather boot, um, and and not a sort of uh, upper end of the you know a kind of trail walking boot. Um, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how we go in relation to what we think is the the better better performing footwear. Um, so, Tim, what about food uh, along the track? What are you thinking about how much food that we have and the preparation that we've done in terms of uh, calculating what we need per day? Um, it's about seven or 800 grams um, uh, of food per day. Uh, we, we've got that. Some days are a little bit higher, some days are a little bit lower. So what are you, what are you thinking about how that will last for 15 days? I think for me... For me, the issue with food is um, I'm a big eater, but I um, for for a lot of the days where we're averaging, you know, approximately 15 odd kilometres a day. Um, for me, in, in in normal hiking circumstances, I'll burn probably around about 5,000 calories a day, um, and. I think in all honesty, I don't think it's worthwhile carrying even very high-calorie food, just the sheer volume of food that would be required to, to actually meet that calorie requirement. So I know, I know from past experience when I've done two-week long tracks, um, particularly where there have been sort of the 15 to 20-kilometre mark a day, um, I end up losing probably about seven to eight kilos in two weeks. Uh, and that's an expectation on this trip that while we've got fairly high, highly dense calorie food, I think that um, over the two-week period, I would expect to lose that seven to eight week kilo, uh, seven to eight kilo uh, sort of mark. And while I can afford to do that, I think the thing from my perspective is, with some of the trips we've got planned over the next few years, how that's going to pan out when I start doing four, five, six and seven week long trips and longer is keeping up the calorie requirement. I think in relation to the, the, the sort of food we've got, I'm quite happy to eat very similar sorts of food on most days. Um, we tend to have a bit of variation, but certainly breakfast is sort of range between three sort of variations. Lunch is about the same. And dinner tends to be, be different, although dehydrated, pre-prepared meals. Um, I think will be enough food, but um, I do expect to lose weight over the period. Well, I certainly like a little bit more variety. <laughs> and, and I definitely don't like crushed wheat bix but um, I guess it all goes down the same way. I think being able to stop at a couple of kiosks along the way or um, places like Glen Helen or... Uh, or Stanley Chasm, uh, and to have have pre-prepared food, if you like, or have have cafe-type food, will be a bit of a bonus. Um, but um, yeah, it's it doesn't worry me too much. I think um, uh, as long I'm, as long I'm happy as long as I can eat small amounts regularly through the day. Uh, if I go long periods without food, I tend to sort of run out of steam a bit. And Tim, what about the the water situation? There are a couple of days there that we need to carry, um, you know, uh, double double water. Um, what, what what's your feeling and thinking about being able to purify it, and then also um, just withstand the, the the extra weight of of carrying it? Uh, I think, from my perspective, I'm I'm fairly 
meticulous in relation in, in regard to purifying the food. I've had ghiardi before when I've travelled through India. I don't particularly want it again. So even though they, uh, the, the water is often filled from town water sources or from bore sources and is likely to be fairly clean, I'm still not 100% confident of that. So um, I will be filtering the water. Uh, and we've, uh, We're both using soy mini filters. Um, I've actually got an inline filter. Uh, and um, and Jill's actually going to be using a um, using the squeeze version of the the filter uh, and filling up the packs this way. So in that respect, we'll see how how the filter compares with different uses and seeing how it best stands out. I think in relation to the extra days, um, mostly the temperatures are in low 20s. Uh, we seem to get a day like today where we had 28 degrees Celsius. Uh, which is, um, considering it's not the hottest part of the year, it's, um, it's actually quite a, uh, a reasonable sort of period. And if, if you can hear that noise in the background, the, the sprinklers have just gone on, so speaking of water. Um, but, um, you know, if, in most cases, we've both got um, extra bladders to be able to carry. We're carrying three litres a day as a regular thing. And for a lot of people, that might seem a lot. I tend to drink a fairly high amount of water. Uh, again, I've had issues with kidney stones when I was younger, so I do tend to drink a lot more water than most people tend to. Uh, and I think having, on the, on the periods where we've got a, a two-day water carry or a day-and-a-half water carry on another time, um, that'll add a couple of extra kilos to the weight we've already carried. Uh, but um, in most cases, we're only carrying three, three litres of water at a time uh, with fair confidence that water is available at each of the, uh, the camps each night, provided, uh, provided by the local rangers. Just uh, looking back on some of the things or some of the preconceptions that we had prior to the trip, the temperature, uh, which we expected to be somewhere between uh, minus 4 degrees and 32 degrees Celsius, was reasonably close. We, we ended up with minus 2 to 32 degrees over the whole trip. The real issue was the shade, uh, or the lack thereof, that, that, that combined with the temperature that tended to create a bit of problem. Food, uh, we, uh, we had more than enough food and the response we got from everybody we met on the trail was they had way too much food. We'd uh, shortened the trip by a day so we had that extra trip, extra amount, uh, but we found that throughout the trip our taste changed. Uh, so um, it was really a matter of um, what I liked at the start of the trip tended to vary compared to what I liked at the end of the trip, and that's pretty normal. The variety itself, uh, we were quite happy with what we'd actually brought with us, uh, but again, as I said, uh, our food taste did change. In relation to things like wildlife, um, that really did surprise us. We didn't see as much wildlife as we expected, um, and we had explained at a presentation at Ormiston Gorge by one of the rangers that um, uh, it was in, because it was in the low 20s, a lot of the animal life was actually in hibernation. Uh, so while we saw a number of birds and lizards uh, and another couple that was travelling with us also saw a couple of the, the poisonous mulga snakes, um, a lot of the other smaller wildlife uh, really wasn't out and about. Although we did see some, um, some, some of the kangaroo family. We, uh, we mentioned that we didn't think we'd see many people on the trail, uh, and that did surprise us. There was quite a few people travelling in both directions, 
Um, and it really did surprise us how many people were actually there. We expected to be almost wilderness and hardly have any people around at all, but that wasn't actually the case. Uh, I think August and May tend to be the two peak months that are for the, the trip, and it certainly looked that way. I did mention uh, footwear as part of my main concerns, and that was something that uh, I couldn't quite get a handle on. Uh, if you read uh, the website, a number of magazines on the Larapenta Trail, the general comment is the Larapenta Trail eats footwear, and it's one of the biggest causes of equipment malfunction on the trail. Um, so to play it safe, my personal preference is for a heavy grade trail runner or hiking shoe rather than a boot. Um, but in this case, I wore a lightweight boot just to, to cover myself. Um, and in hindsight, having actually done the trip, I could have gotten away with a pair of heavy grade trail runners. And certainly my shoe of preference is the, the Solomon XA3D Pros, which I'll talk about in a later episode. Um, although I did see one hiker wearing a pair of Solomon Speed Crosses, which are a lightweight trail runner, and they weren't faring too well. So... Whatever sort of footwear you are going to wear on the trail, it needs to be in good condition. Keep your foot nice and padded and protected and protect your toes and heels, which you're likely to scuff. The other concern I had that I mentioned was uh, water. Um, water quality and water issue. The quality uh, was more my concern. I've had Giada here in the past uh, and I don't ever want to repeat that again. So I tend to uh, uh, filter water whether it's necessary or not. Uh, and we did come across three uh, English hikers who said they weren't feeling too good, but they hadn't been filtering the water. So whether it was for that or for some other reason, I'd prefer not to take the choice and I would recommend filtering. Quantity was quite manageable. Um, if you ever see photos of the Larapenta Trail, you'll see the water tanks and most of the water the tanks have aerials associated with them. And these aerials, after talking to a ranger uh, who explained to me that they're a sensor that t tell the, uh, the, uh, the ranger headquarters how much water is in each tank. They usually don't like the water levels dropping below 50%, but it means that they don't have to go out and check every tank every day. Uh, they can fill them up as they need to. So water generally isn't a major issue. Uh, as I mentioned, I tend to drink a lot of water. I'm, I'm normally drinking sort of probably um, overall for a whole day. I'm probably drinking three, three and a half liters of water a day. Uh, and in all honesty, that probably wasn't quite enough. Uh, I mean, the, the indicator you tend to use on whether you've had enough water or not is, is urine colour. Uh, and for me, um, it, I probably could have drunk about a half to one litre. Uh, although I wasn't dehydrated, uh, my urine was probably a bit darker than, that, than it probably should have been. This next recording uh, relates to Leave No Trace, and I'll let it speak for itself and then sort of just do a bit of a follow-up afterwards. On day five. day five, 5th of August, we've just completed today's hike. Um, we've uh, had dinner, set up tent, uh, not quite where we'd planned to. So after we left uh, Hilltop Lookout at uh, lunchtime today, um, the, we've had probably the hardest section on the trail that we've come across. Um, so from Hilltop Lookout down to Waterfall Gorge is a series of very steep switchbacks with very poor, poor quality path, very large rocks all the way through. 
So compared to the series of switchbacks from Hilltop Lookout above Fink River, uh, which has been redone recently, uh, was in really good condition. This section was in very, very poor condition, so it made for a very, very hard day. Uh, and the, the, it was very treacherous footing on the way down. So doing going up would certainly be hard, but going down was a lot more difficult, particularly after the climb up to the top of Hilltop Lookout. We got to Waterfall Gorge um, and decided it wasn't particularly attractive. It was very hot. It was probably um, around about mid-afternoon, about 2 o'clock. Um, very, very hot on the camping ground. Uh, there was a number of um, exposed cat holes that hadn't been done properly, uh, so dirty toilet paper visible in a number of different areas, so we decided to move on instead. Um, we kept on going till we found a good camping spot, and that was around about 10 kilometres from Serpentine Chalet Dam. So we ended up today doing approximately just over 18, probably about 18 and a half kilometres all up. Very demanding, very tough sort of day. Uh, water's fine uh, after this morning's uh, split in the bags, so we've got, got water without any problem. We've only got 10 k's to go tomorrow, and we've got a, a full complement of water, which what we what we'd normally have for a full day. So we can restock water tomorrow, uh, and certainly the day after as well. We'll play it a bit by ear tomorrow. We um, we were planning on staying at Serpentine uh, Serpentine Chalet uh, Chalet Dam, um, but we may actually push on, if not all the way to Serpentine Gorge, but the majority of way there. Uh, and that means that by uh, the following day, we'll actually reach uh, reach Ellery Creek. Um, all things being given equal, um, I'm certainly very tired. Uh, I'm fairly fit. But um, carrying a, a double load of water um, and a full food complement um, has certainly taken out on me. Um, it's, uh, it'll be hard to say that it'll be interesting to see, but I would be surprised if there's a, there's a harder section on this track than this uh, than section nine that we're doing at the moment. So, how did you find today, Jill? I think you've pretty much summed it up, Tim. Um, I certainly agree with um, uh, the climbs that we've done today and the condition of the the track. And um, you know, I, I was I was the one who forced the issue on not staying at um, the previous campsite. It was pretty unpleasant. Um, we found this lovely. I'll leave that recording just there. Uh, as I mentioned, the, um, the, the what really surprised us is, is is probably laziness among a number of hikers, where they're either in a hurry or they just don't think, uh, and um, it's not particularly pleasant coming across people's toilet waste that hasn't been buried properly. So in an upcoming episode, I am going to be discussing the concept of leave no trace, uh, including how how cat holes should be dug. Uh, as well as um, preparing campsites or choosing campsites to minimise uh, the uh, the impact on the environment that we're hiking in. This next segment I left in probably more for humour than anything else. Um, every so often the Australian government do a, a national census to see how the country's going and you were supposed to fill it out, out on the night. We did. We had our census pack with us and we filled it out at Fringe Lily Creek. Um, and 
to much laughter, I think, more than anything else. Um, really, the census forms tend to work on the basis that people live in a house uh, and they the the answers really don't sit well when when you don't fit into the norm. It's 6.30 on the day 9, 9th of August. Just heading to bed now after having done the Australian census in a very small tent in the middle of nowhere. So that's going to provide some inter interesting answers for the, uh, the census people. Um, had a fairly relaxing afternoon. Had a good dinner. Uh, and looking forward to another, another good day tomorrow after a very, very sharp, short incline first thing in the morning. Yeah, it's been a lovely day. Uh, it has been very relaxing. We found some nice shade to, to sit in and um, for, for the first time in a very long time I watched the clouds go by. Um, it was very, very peaceful and very serene. Now, something that's as an add-on to that little segment, which I hadn't thought about previously, one of the things that both Jill and I like about camping is the is it takes you out of your day-to-day -day life. So rather than worrying about mortgages and, and what the kids are doing and, uh, and, and how the job's going, uh, to be able to just sit there or lie there on your back and watch the clouds go by, it's something that we find we tend not to do enough uh, and that we really value when we do get the opportunity to go through and do it. This uh, next segment is um, is an interview with Steve, who we interviewed earlier on uh, in the previous episode. Um, we ended up travelling with Steve from Ellery Creek, Creek until the end of the trip, and um, uh, it was some, wasn't something we planned. It was just something that sort of fell into place. We got on very very well with each other, uh, and it was good to have a bit of extra company as well. So it's um, here's Steve's views on how he found the trip. Uh, from what his, pre his preconceptions were. Okay, it's 6.30 on day 14. Just getting ready to start the final section. Uh, and I just um, have a bit of a brief chat with Steve, who we've been travelling with on and off uh, over a lot of the trail. Um, and Steve's likely to sort of um, finish ahead of us today, so I thought I'd catch up with him and ask him what, what he thought of the trail. So from your perspective, Steve, how, uh, how did you think the trail was going to be and how did it actually turn out for you? Um, yeah, the thing was gonna, I knew it was going to be long, uh, and like obviously speaks for itself being over 200 k's, but I knew it was going to be rugged and and um, and quite uh, rough on the feet and on the body. But um, yeah, it was otherwise quite good. I mean, other than the first couple of days that took a bit to um, condition the body and get used to carrying the pack and the weight and just getting used to the terrain and just sort of literally finding your feet uh, was probably the biggest thing. Um, but yeah, now that we're towards the end of the trail, this is a, the last day. It's um, yeah, it's definitely been you know, quite a um, an exhausting trek, but um, a rewarding one at the same time. What's uh, what's been the best uh, best part or the most enjoyable part of the trail for you? Uh, the most enjoyable. I mean, I had a lot of fun going up Razorback Ridge, uh, even though it was quite a, a daunting task at first when you look up and you think, oh my God, do we have to walk up that? But um, you know, other, 
other than that, it was quite nice. All the gorges were good, like Ellery Creek was great, Ormiston Gorge was great. Um, Hugh Gorge was a, a really terrific walk up through there when we all walked up through there. Yeah, so that'd probably be the highlight so far. What yeah. about the lowlights? What's the, what are the parts you could have done without? <laughs> uh, I think there's a few of those. Um, I'm glad that I started um, end-to-end from the west and worked my way back to the east because um, I guess this walk over to Simpsons Gap uh, yesterday wasn't exactly the most thrilling walk that I've been on throughout all the different stages, but um, even sort of to think... Uh, around the Fink Gorge area there, as I spoke about earlier. It was um, it was a nice walk, but, you know, I just didn't really find it appealing to sort of camp at. But, yeah, I think... Uh, oh, and the section between Ellery Creek and um, Ghost Gum Flat, that was a, a bit of a bit of a tough one during the hot weather. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's not much shade on that section, so I can understand that. Um, are there anything, anything that surprised you about the trail, things you expected that didn't happen or things that, expected that you didn't expect that did happen? Um... That's a tough one, actually. Uh, <laughs> um, well, not really, I suppose. Um, oh, I suppose some of those creek crossings that were a little bit, um, bit, bit challenging at times, especially when you're climbing up over the boulders and that. You just, I wasn't really expecting um, a lot of the rock hopping and that that we were doing. Um, and even coming down some of those dry waterfalls and that, like, they were quite steep. And, I mean, it was still good fun. But um, yeah, totally unexpected, which was good because you know that sort of um, that's what part of um, hiking and exploring is all about—just new, new challenges, new experiences, not knowing what's around the next corner. Yeah, so it was um, it was good, but definitely uh, you know unexpected. Okay, and finally, what would you what would you recommend recommendations be? Would you recommend people do it if they if they haven't? Oh, definitely. I think that people who live um, especially locally um, around Alice Springs and even the Northern Territory should definitely come down. It's one of those. You know, must see must see places. I mean, we came through some phenomenal um, landscape, you know, scenery and, and mountains and you know ruggedness. And if people want a sort of true, I suppose, um, a true picture of what uh, the the you know central central Australian landscape is really like, you know, get up on top of some of these mountains and you'll really see, you know, where the inspiration come, comes from for Aboriginal people for their um, for their artwork. Um, but yeah, like anyone throughout the whole of Australia, um, yeah, you should definitely put this on the to-do list because it is a, um, a great walk. It's very challenging and, you know, for those who think that they, oh, I don't know if I could do 200 kilometres, it's too far. But I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's not in one hit. It's only broken up into stages and you can make it, depending on how much time you've got, you can make it as, as hard as you want it to be. So if you're limited on time, you can obviously punch out 20 to 30 kilometres a day. But if you've got a bit more flexible time, you can um, cruise along at you know between 15 and 20 kilometres a day quite comfortably and enjoy each of the spaces, each of the um, shelters along the way or trailheads. Okay, thanks that Steve and enjoy the last day. Thanks mate, you too. Cheers. So the uh, the previous segments you've just been listening to are a bit of a, a follow-up from uh, both Jill and myself and also from Steve about what we expected the trip to hold for us. Uh, we also had a few segments that uh, that I thought were worthwhile adding in uh, just to, uh, as additional things that uh, we, we didn't cover in a, in a previous episode which we which I we titled uh, a day on the trail now from my perspective um, this trip is definitely worthwhile doing and I can't recommend it highly enough uh, to anyone that can go through and and has the time but I suppose one of the things I'd probably talk about is um, some of the things that um, I sort of struggled to find, I suppose, when we were doing the initial planning uh, and still weren't quite clear to me until we actually got on the trail. 
Um, for more detail on this, go through and have a look at the, um, the blog post on our website for a bit more detailed information. But some of the things I'd like to raise is uh, what we consider to be the best sections. And for us, it was section four and five, uh, and that was pretty consistent about, about amongst everyone we talked to. One of the surprising sections, I suppose, which we, which was, uh, we considered to be quite good was section one. And for a lot of people who travel from Alice Springs to Mount Sonda, this is a segment that people will often skip. Uh, but coming back towards Alice Springs uh, and coming in along uh, the cliff tops leading back towards Alice Springs, it just gives you a spectacular view of the, the city itself. Uh, it, um, it's something that I don't think you would appreciate if it was your first day. Uh, but again, doing section one, traveling from Mount Sonda to Alice Springs, definitely worthwhile. Our least favorite section was probably section two, and that was from um, Simpson Gap to, uh, to Jay Creek. Not for any particular reason. It was a long segment. It was also a very hot day. It was one of those 32 degree days for us. Um, and it was, again, it was very, uh, very minimal amount of shade so it wasn't that it was bad it was just something that uh, it was a section that probably didn't stand out uh, for any particular reason the harder sections we found were sections three and section nine uh, section nine probably because we were coming back down what was the most unkept and hardest physical section of the trail it was a steep series of switchbacks that hadn't been maintained and from what I understand, they're going to be repaired in the next 12 months or so. But certainly um, very difficult coming down, very steep and very slippery foot, uh, footage, uh, footing. So we ended up having to take it quite slowly. Lessons learned, as I said, reduce the amount of food. Um, worst case, uh, you can actually stop in at Ormiston uh, 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 Gorge or um, at Glen Helen and get food if you need to. Um, if really need to, you can contact a couple of different uh, uh, suppliers and they can also do additional food drops for you if you're really that bad. But as I said previously, most people over cater and you'll find that within the, uh, the three formal food drops of uh, Ormiston Gorge, Ellery Creek uh, and um, Stanley Chasm, there's food that's been left behind by previous hikers uh, or non-perishable food that uh, is, is pretty much uh, help yourself. So you're pretty much covered there to a great extent uh, if you, as long as you're travelling towards the end of the season, not the start. Things that uh, we didn't really pick up from my research initially were um, some of the campsites, in particular um, uh, Mount, the campsite at Red Bank Gorge um, and a couple of the others with the red dust. Uh, if there's fairly strong winds... Um, you end up getting covered, you and everything else, including a tent and all your equipment, will end up getting covered in dust. Um, so for us, our tent had a, a mesh inner, uh, and that was probably a disadvantage in that respect. Um, uh, but it was probably more the issue that we had the strong winds that tended to kick the dust up. up. Um, I enjoy night hiking quite a lot, um, but like night hiking, night hiking on the Larapinta Trail is probably not something that I would recommend, partly because there are so many rocks, and I certainly wouldn't recommend going down a lot of the, uh, the large gullies that have very large boulders that you have to pick your way around. Um, I think there's a, probably a strong risk if you're traveling at night time 
um, particularly down those gullies, that you're likely to end up injuring yourself. So I think night, hi night hiking is something to worthwhile skipping. Um, in relation to uh, accommodation or to shelter, my recommendation would probably be for a tent. While you could actually use a hammock, I think um, you are very, you're very much limiting your choice of campsites or tent sites. And while you needed to go through and do a bit of clearing to make sure there was minimal rocks underneath you when you were uh, camping on the ground, a freestanding tent uh, with a selection of sand and JPEGs as tent pegs uh, is a good way to go. Uh, and last but not least, from my perspective, dig your cat holes well before you need them. Uh, in the situation of um, uh, the, the actual soil itself, um, it's more rock with a bit of soil rather than soil with rock. So uh, in most camps that I tend to do or hiking that I tend to do, you know, five minutes top to dig a cat hole and that's probably, probably taking it quite slowly. Um, most of the cat holes that I needed to dig uh, when we're away from um, the toilet facilities probably took about 15 minutes. So you don't want to be having to do that in a hurry if you desperately need to. Thanks, Tim. I agree with what you've been saying in relation to uh, some of the challenges on the Lara Pinta Trail and certainly those sections that we found easiest and um, uh, more difficult. Uh, there were a whole bunch of other things that, that really stood out about the trail for me. Um, as time passes, I uh, think that it's... A little bit easier than I perhaps thought it was at the time. Uh, there were days that were very, very challenging, uh, both physically and uh, emotionally uh, for me. Um, the landscape, uh, the environment, uh, just the isolation and the ruggedness of, of the environment were just outstanding. And I think they're the, they're the real reasons why you do these sorts of things. Uh, you you can give yourself some challenges. You can say, I'm going to do it in the shortest possible time or I'm going to, you know, do it in a particular way. Uh, but really the whole point of doing something like this is about immersing yourself in the landscape. And we certainly did that. Uh, the fact that the mobile phones didn't work uh, very often I thought was just an absolute bonus uh, that's something that in uh, the modern world we don't tend to be able to escape too much but certainly uh, while some people would have thought that that was a bit of a challenge uh, I was quite happy there were times when I just didn't even bother checking whether or not there was a signal because I you know knew that there wouldn't be um, and that that's sort of nice to isolate yourself in that way uh, every now and then. The food that we carried uh, was plentiful. Uh, we probably had a little bit too much food uh, and some of it was by the end starting to look the same. Uh, certainly for me I was desperate for an apple. I had an apple when I got back to Alice Springs but I did start to dream of having that apple along the way. Um, so that's something to think about and think about the sorts of food that you, you do eat normally. It was a complete change in diet, uh, which I also found quite uh, challenging uh, as well as along the way. We had a really small tent. I'm sure that Tim's been talking about the, the tent and sometimes it's a little bit hard to understand or appreciate 
the size of the tent. Uh, Tim's a pretty uh, big guy. There wasn't a lot of room to move. Uh, when I got my sleeping bag in there, which was, you know, super, super warm, it tended to fill the tent and Tim filled the rest of the tent. So that was always a bit of a challenge to to battle over that. Um, it was kind of nice and kind of kind of cute in a way. We called it the teeny weeny tent. Uh, we, we managed uh, it quite well. Uh, there's no doubt that, you know, coming back to civilization and being able to sleep in your own king size bed um, was a great bonus. Uh, but certainly 14 days of uh, a very, very small tent was um, something to get used to. Uh, perhaps not something you would want to do for a long period of time. We met a lot of people along the way. That really surprised me. Uh, I did expect that there would be a higher level of isolation. Uh, the number of people we bumped into going both directions, the closer we got to Alice Springs, uh, did, in, did increase. Uh, but probably on average, the, we probably didn't go um, much beyond a few hours, maybe four hours before we actually met somebody uh, either overtaking us or uh, coming the other way. Um, and as I said, I think that that was something that was a bit of a surprise for me. So it's a well-worn track. Um, y- you know, it is off the bitten track, but certainly it's it's from that perspective quite popular and some really interesting uh, people uh, to have a conversation with, uh, people who are travelling by themselves, uh, travelling, you know, in, in groups of two, uh, the odd family or so, you know, with uh, older uh, teenage or young adult children. So, y- you know, the diversity is there in so many different ways and it was just an, a fantastic uh, opportunity. And uh, looking back, you know, not as tough as I thought, but, you know, that that's what happens uh, the further you get away from a big challenge. Uh, definitely glad that we did it and definitely we'll be talking about the experience for many years to come okay thanks for that jill now this is the the last of our uh, uh our podcasts on the la repenter trail um as i said we'll have uh, a written write-up on the website if you want to go through and look at that if you haven't already done so next week go next episode we're back to our regular episodes uh and the topic for next uh, next episode is leave no trace So I'm looking forward to to going through and talking about that. Bye for now.